Welcome back to your next stop. This is Juliet Hahn. In this episode, I speak with Coot Blackston. He is an inspirational teacher, author, and entrepreneur. You know I say this every time. Stories connect us. This is a story of passion, pivots, and inspiration. You guys are going to love this. Coot's dad grew up in Africa, actually built churches in Africa, really did some life-changing stuff where he was uh, born and raised. His mother is Japanese. They raised Coot in London. So he's really been all over the world. Now he lives in the United States. And Coot was supposed to take over the family business and he just felt like it was not in his calling. So he pivoted. And this episode, we really talk about the pivots, but also, you know, what it did to the family when he decided to pivot, how things just kept opening doors. And he knew that he was on the right path. The relationship he had with his parents, really beautiful story. You can find Coot on his website, cootblackston.com. You can also find his books, You Are the One and The Magic of Surrender. You can find those on Amazon and on his website. He's also doing his last Bali retreat. He's done over uh, 20 for 20 years. And it is, you can find that at his Coot Baxton, or you can go to boundlessblissbali.com. You can find Coot all over the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. You do not want to miss this episode of your next stop with Juliet Hahn. I am a storytelling consultant. I've had a lot of people recently ask me what that is. I help people formulate their story. I help people connect the dots and pull out the powerful parts of their story and be able to connect them so they can articulate it on different formats. So if they're on, going on the podcast circuit, if they're on a podcast for 20 minutes versus 30 minutes versus an hour, I help be able to take those parts of their story that are going to connect with the audiences. If they're TEDx speakers, if they're going and they're writing a book, I help them be able to really take those pieces of their story and make them more powerful so they can connect deeper with the audience. I also help people come up with that one sentence. So if you're out in the business world and you're networking, I I help you really get that one sentence that's going to let people insight, a little insight into who you are with just saying one sentence. I give a 30-minute consultation and you can email me at info at imjuliethahn.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to your next stop. This is Juliette Hahn. I say it every single time, but I am so excited for you to meet my next guest. This is Cute Blackson. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Coot, and I'm saying that correctly, right? Coot? Yes, Coot. Okay, great. Coot is an inspirational teacher and author. He also is, I mean, guys, when we get into this episode, you're going to be so excited, but I want you to go and follow Coot. He is on Instagram. His name is spelled K-U-T-E and his name last name is Blackson. And then you can also go to Facebook and then his website, which is uh, his name. But that's where he hangs out. He's got some really fun things that are coming up and we're going to get all into this. But Coot, I just would love for you to let the listeners know a little bit about yourself. So where you grew up, if you went to university, and then we will get into the rest of the episode. Wow. Uh, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I <clears throat> grew up in London, currently live in the US. And so I'm, I feel like I'm a citizen <laughs> of the world from everywhere and nowhere. People ask where you're from. And I, I don't know. It depends on the given moment. Uh, so I feel very blessed in that way. Um, yeah, from a very young age, I was a very empathetic kid. So I always felt people suffering very deeply. And there was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate people's suffering. And so as a young boy, um, 
some would say I had a bit of an unusual upbringing, a bit of an unusual childhood. For me, it felt very normal. I thought everyone grew up the way I did until I began to realize this wasn't the case. For instance, uh, my first memories as a young boy, around six, seven, uh, a chubby kid lost in the crowd, walking through a crowd of like a thousand people. I remember seeing a crippled woman pick up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so a miracle, right? So week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up mm -hmm. out of wheelchairs. And, and basically this man who sent picked up was my father. My father would look at a person in a wheelchair who hadn't walked in 10 years and say, like, why are you sitting in the wheelchair? Stand up. You would think this was BS. You would think if you saw this on TV, you'd wonder if it was real, but I happened to grow up seeing this stuff literally every day, every weekend. And so I grew up with a sense that the miraculous and the like all possibilities were available to us as human beings. So I felt very blessed in that sense. My father, he built, uh, he was a very spiritual man. He built uh, 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, hundreds of thousands of followers. He built a huge church in London, 5,000 people every Sunday. Um, he was very spiritual in that he went to the, he went to India in the sixties, had a kind of enlightenment experience, but had all these churches at the same time. And my mother was Buddhist. So it was this, this strange, you know, paradox and environment. Grew up meditating with my mother, going to church every Sunday. When I was age eight, I, my speaking career began and I started speaking in my father's churches. And at 14, I was ordained as a minister and I was given a mandate to take over my father's organization. My entire life was basically scripted and set out for me by my father and everyone. Um, but at that age, I knew that this was not my path. I knew that this was not my destiny, but honestly, I think I was just too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I spoke my truth, I think like many of us, we allow fear to hijack our voice. We allow fear to hijack our truth. We allow fear to stop us from being who we really are. The fear, the fear is if I dare to be who I really am, you won't love me. And so we hide ourselves and we hold back and we play small in so many ways. And, and so my fear was if I spoke my truth and followed my heart, that I would lose my father, that I would be alone, mm. that I would be outcast. And so for four years, I said nothing went along with this. I mean, I tried to rationalize and justify and make sense, yet something didn't fit. And so when I was 18, I uh, chose not to go to university. I got a scholarship to a very prestigious um, school uh, in, in, called Dulwich College, where a lot of like president's kids, prime minister's kids went. And I was one, like one of two in a class of about four or 500 that chose not to go to university, which is a big deal in the UK. Everybody thought I was completely mad. <laughs> I just figured life had more to teach me. And at a young age, around 17, I felt this strong calling in my soul to come to the US, to go to America, the land of opportunity, but specifically because I wanted to go into the field of self-help and spirituality and personal development. Why? Because as a young kid, I was sneaking to my father's office and on his bookshelf were literally a thousand books on personal growth and personal development. Everyone from the Eastern mystics, people like Krishnamurti, Western, uh, Western philosophers to folks like Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay, Dan Millman, I mean, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar. And so... I realized, damn, there's, there's a whole nother way to inspire people that doesn't have to be through organized religion or the church. And this lit my soul up. And so as a young kid, my soul guides me, like go to America. The only thing is, you know, when you're sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't always convenient or doesn't always make sense. But I really believe that 
Um, and I found through my life that when you follow your soul, um, you will always be guided in the right place at the right time with the right people, even though the route that you take may not be the one that you most expect. And so I, I decided to say yes and follow my calling. And that's when I knew what I had to do, which was have that conversation with my father. Um, at 18, 17 and a half, I think I was, I sat down with my, basically I looked into my future and I saw if I, I could follow the expected path, the expected career and be successful. And I projected age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60, age 70, I mean, and on and on. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have my own integrity, like what kind of success is that? And I felt such a pain of betraying myself. And I saw that if I begin to, to lie to myself now to get love, validation and approval, I'm going to have to basically live this lie for the rest of my life. And that felt incredibly painful. And so at 18, I mustered up the courage. I was terrified, but mustered up the courage to have the conversation with my father and told him I'm not taking over, which didn't go over too well. We didn't speak for two years and I renounced everything. And long story short, I won a green card, uh, literally in the lottery, green card lottery that enabled me to come to the US and two suitcases, $800 landed in the US as an 18 and a half year old kid with a vision and a dream to inspire people in some way. And when I found teachers and mentors and authors, many of the you know best-selling self-help authors studied with some of them. A few years later, started traveling the world in search of answers, went to Israel, studied with some rabbis, went to Thailand, studied with some monks, ended up in India. And that's what kind of cracked me open to a deeper sense of purpose and who I am. And then I came back to America uh, about 20 years ago and began working with people before coaching the coaching industry, before it was a popular thing. I began working with people one-on-one, -on -one. no idea what I was doing, but just following my heart and uh, a pure desire to be of service. And that uh, opened th some things. And one client came and another client came and another very organic, another client came and they transformed and I started to evolve and develop a whole, uh, my own way of working with people. I called it uncoaching and people's life transformed and people started flying from around the world to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. And then it just honestly evolved from one-on-one -on -one to small groups, to large groups, to retreats, to bigger groups, to bigger seminars and two best-selling books. So that's, that's my story. Yeah, no, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the thing that I love, and this is what I love about doing podcasting is, and, and talking to people and meeting people is, I mean, you just painted your life. I mean, we can all picture it, right? We can picture where you grew up. We can picture the churches. We can picture the path. And many people that have supportive parents that have parents that, you know, say, this is, this is the path that we expect for you. You know, I have kids. I know in my mind, I, I think this is what they're going to do, but I don't, I know now in my age, not to project that on them. They're going to choose what they do. And I really truly believe it's God's path, you know, whether you believe in the universe, whether you believe in God. Um, but, that we all have a path. We don't always find it because we're not always aware and we listen to the outside world. And so I think it's so amazing that you at such a young age felt that and knew that. And we're like, I, I have a strong feeling, you know, you did struggle with it. You were like, okay, I'm going to try to please my parents. That's what we do as, as kids, especially when, you know, you have loving parents, you want to please them. But the fact that you were able to say, okay, no, this is not what I want because I know I, I feel my future. I see what it is. Um, 
How did your mother feel in all of this? You know, like, look, I mean, maybe this is generalization, but uh, I think mothers, mothers <laughs> are the source of life and the world <laughs> and uh, are probably the most probably the most important people on the planet, to be honest. Um, my mother supported me unconditionally. I mean, I was terrified when I, when I felt my soul calling me in a different direction, I was terrified to acknowledge what I felt because I knew, I knew the consequences of what that would mean. And so I told my mother and I knew she was the one person that would support me. And as true as true can be, she just looked me in the eyes and said, if this is what you feel and this is what's in your soul, you have my blessing, you have my support, like I'm there, you know? And uh, she was the one that gave me the, the $800 to, to go to the US and supported me. And it was interesting because my father and I weren't talking when I left the US, I left the UK. And when I got to the US, I, I landed in LAX and went to Venice Beach at the time, which was not the best place, but it's the only place that, that the, the taxi guy took me to, dropped me off and kicked me out. And I ended up crying on the beach in uh, on Venice for like two weeks, one because it's such a culture shock between London and California and Venice Beach. And it was like, this is, I've landed in a circus, you know? And, and I was full of doubt and regret and wondering, shit, did I make the wrong decision? And I remember calling my mother, fully expecting her to like say, come home, come back. Because her and I was her only child. We, like she was the closest person to me. And this was before cell phones, right before cell phones, I call her and on the payphone. And I said to her, like I was crying and like I made the wrong decision. And she, all she said was, don't come back, keep going. And I'll, I'll never forget that moment and I'm eternally grateful for that moment because she believed in me, you know, and I think we all need someone who, who believes in us sometimes when we, when we don't believe in ourselves and when we want to quit. And she, she did that. And I think it was very unselfish of her. I think one of the greatest things a parent can do is let their kids go, like to give their kids the gift of, I set you free to live your path and I let you go. And I was so shocked that being her only son and probably the reason she lived when it came time to let me go, she said, I can't come to the airport to wish you, I, to wish you off. It's too, I can't do it, but I set you free. And she waved and blessed me and let me go and didn't cry, you know? And, and I think she was so unselfish and unconditional in her encouragement to tell me to not come back because I think probably everything inside of us had wanted to say, come back, come home, you know? And so I'm eternally grateful for that. Well, I mean, that is the thing as a parent, as a mother, you raise your kids and you know that that time is going to come. But I mean, my kids all laugh at me because they're like, Oh, when, you know, whatever we choose to do, whether if we go to university or not, when we, when we, you know, spread our wings, I will definitely cry because I love them. I love them. I love who I, I, I love who they are. I love the people that they're becoming and I love being around them. And so the thought of not having them there all the time is hard, you know, but then you also think about it's because you've raised them to be good people. And, and I know that they're going to do amazing things. I know it. And so I love that your mom, you know, as much as she probably hung up the phone and was like, I wanted to so badly say, just come home, I'll take care of you. But she knew that wasn't the right thing. She created you. She helped that's you. Love. That is love. Yeah, that, that is love. That's, that's real love. I think many times we confuse love for 
over responsibility or and we help people and we end up in helping them we enable them we don't truly empower them and i think love is love is really when you serve when your action your intention and your action actually serves someone's highest soul evolution and sometimes that's saying no sometimes that is the more difficult path and that's love that's real love when we truly serve someone's uh soul's evolution and and that's what she did for me she did now do you think that your father in his own way not speaking to you was his way of saying okay i love you because i'm hurt or do you think it was more of just his upbringing and it was like no you disappointed me yeah 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 no look let's let's be honest i love my father and i came to a real place of forgiveness and peace with my father over the last 20 years and um nothing but big love for his soul. But I know that in that moment, uh, my father was old school, born in Africa in the late thirties with nothing on a some concrete floor in the middle of a town with no electricity, different generation, different culture, different continent, different everything, you know? And, and so, um, it's a different paradigm. And, and, and my father is also old school African. And, and, you know, old school, masculine, patriarchal male. And, and so with my father, I knew it's like, it's my way or it's my way. Which one would you like to choose? And, and I know that's my father. And so I, I, I was aware of the consequences, which is why I was so terrified because I knew, I knew what it would mean. And, um, he was disappointed. He was heartbroken. You know, when I had the conversation, sometimes people think you have to like this, a lot of talk and self-help, like be fearless. Sometimes, sometimes when you find your purpose and you find your truth, you will be terrified at what that is calling you to do. Because when you truly find your calling, and to be honest, if you're not scared in some way, if you're, if you're living life and you don't feel some fear, probably your goals aren't big enough. Your vision isn't big enough. What you're doing isn't big enough. You're actually playing too comfortable and too small. And so I think fear is a natural part. And so I was terrified before the conversation, during the conversation, even after the conversation, wondering if I'd made the wrong decision. And, and yet deep down, I felt the truth of it. And so I think he was disappointed. I think he was attached to his way, but I, I really, through time, believe that the truth serves everyone. When we speak the truth, it serves everyone, even though it may not seem that way at first. And what I believe is when we speak the truth from our hearts with compassion, with love, with, with, with empathy, of course, with respect, it, it, it also forces another person, in this case, my father, it forces another person to evolve. It forces another person to expand. It forces another person to surrender. And I think it takes the other person or group of people that we speak the truth to, to, it forces them to uh, evolve, to expand, to, to go on their necessary soul's journey at the same time. And so I think I think it forced my father to reflect on some things for himself in his life. And, you know, years later, um, when I was maybe in my early twenties, I came to a place of real forgiveness for my father. And I went to this, this men's retreat, you know, where men get together and we, you know, beat our chest in the, in, in the forest together and do man stuff. And, but, but in this retreat, you know, guys were crying and we were like dealing with our shit. And, 
And I remember really forgiving my father, truly coming to a place of forgiveness because I realized he was doing the best he could do. And he didn't really have a father. And he, he didn't have the, 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 the emotional capacity for more than that. And so when I really came, to, it's amazing, when I really came to this place of forgiveness for my father, um, we hadn't spoken for years. And I just forgave him. And I think part of closure, part of true forgiveness is not really about the other person. It's about your relationship with the other person within yourself. And I think many times we wait for the other person to make amends because we're right. And I was right about something. We wait for the other person to apologize. We wait for the other person to take responsibility. And in doing so, we inhibit, we limit, we block our freedom in waiting for the other person. And so what I realized is really making peace with my father is not about my father. It's about my relationship with my father within myself that has nothing to do with him. And so when I really forgave him and, and came to a place of peace inside of myself with regards to him, literally within a week, he called me out of the blue after years and said, you know, son, I don't know why, but I think we need to talk. And that was the beginning of, of healing, a long journey of, of really healing the rift and uh, healing our connection. And then we just slowly began to mend. And I'm so glad that I chose to follow my truth because our relationship then was not based on a lie. Me trying to be someone I thought he needed me to be. And many times when we, when we live the lie, you know, often out of conditioning, when we be who we think we need to be in order to get love, validation, approval, when people actually love us, when our parents, people love us, deep down, it doesn't feel fulfilling because deep down we know that the version of us that they're loving is not who we really are. So we're not even able to receive the love that they're giving us, you know? And so, yeah, my father, he's, he's, he's a, he's a, I believe that we all have the perfect parents, the perfect parents for our soul's journey and evolution and purpose. And even though they may not have been perfect on a human level, they were perfect on that spiritual level because even from that pain and that hurt and that trauma and, and, and everything we went through, it shaped us to become who we are. And there were gifts in that relationship that we get to evolve from as well. No, it's so true. And I love that you, you know, said your dad did the best that he can. I mean, he came from a background, he built something that he was proud of, and I'm sure just wanted you to be a part of it. And he thought, oh, this, of course, he's going to be a part of this. I built this. I built this. I built this for him. I built this for my family. I built this for myself. And then the fact that you kind of forgave him and then he came, I think that's, I think that's really beautiful. And I love as you said, when you came to the United States, you know, the fact that you won the green card, I mean, it just was another kind of thing that was like, yep, this is what I'm supposed to do. And that's what so many confirmations, so many people miss those little cues of like those doors opening. And that's what I always say. I, I really teach about daydreaming. I call it daydreaming instead of meditating. Cause I have to walk, like I walk, I move. And that's when I get my best thoughts when I'm walking. And to think about what you want your life to be, what you want, and then really be aware of what's happening around you and look for those cues. Okay. You know what? I was thinking about this and I just heard someone talk about it here. It keeps coming up here. It keeps coming up here. Well, how about you then look and see, cut it, 
explore that. Explore. Like, are you supposed to be writing a book? Are you supposed to be changing your career? Are you supposed to be doing that? And so many people just go through life with blinders on and they don't listen and they don't like look around. And so I, I love what you're doing. I love what you're teaching. So explain a little bit, you know, in the, your journey when you decided you want to write the books. You know, you said you had, you know, one on ones, then it was small groups, then bigger groups, and then bigger yeah. groups. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I think in 2010, I had, I had reached a, I, I, I would say a successful level with my coaching career. And I had been working with people from all walks of life. I had a waiting list working one-on-one. -on -one. I was, I was beginning to speak uh, and do events. Uh, and I remember in 2010, I always wanted to write a book, to be honest. And I began writing my first draft of a, terrible book, I think, looking back in 2004. And, you know, each year was rewriting this draft of a book. And, and the thing is, I think that when a, a fruit is ripe, it drops from the tree. And sometimes you can eat a fruit that's not ripe, but it won't taste as good. And so to be honest, I think it just took a necessary process of true ripening. Um, and, and so in 2010, I met, I won't mention, but I met with a self-help publisher, the CEO of a self-help publishing company, large one. And he was very impressed. He's like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm really impressed with the things you're doing in coaching and your methods and the results you've, I've heard you've produced for people. And he said, I want you to write this kind of book. And he mentioned a kind of book, which was basically a coaching step-by-step -step methodology, like playbook of transformation in a book. <laughs> and I was like, that is a terrible idea, you know, because for me, transformation is not just information. If it was like everything that has needed mm -hmm. to be written has probably been written. I mean, Jesus came, Buddha came, you know, uh, 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 Freud came, Carl Jung came. I mean, it's all <laughs> out there to be honest. And, uh, and I said, that's so uninspiring. That's so like not doing anything that, that feels unique and, and self-expressed. And so, but it will sell. And I said, yeah, it might sell, but it's, no one's going to be moved and remember this kind of book 15 years from now, because I don't remember any step-by-step to a methodology coaching book or transformational book. I don't I, of all the books I remember, none of, and I've read 900 of them, <laughs> right. not one of those are books that changed my life um, because transformation is not just information. And so I said, no. And again, everyone interestingly said, Oh, you're crazy. You know, like you have to say yes and do this book as a stepping stone to the book you really want to write. And I said, I said, no. And this is why I believe that your soul will always guide you. Do not compromise your soul. I said, no, that was 2010. From 2010 to 2015, I went and build, built my business to the next level, started doing more events, building my team, built an online presence, even more platform, social media, just started expanding and said, screw it. I'm just going to put my work out there in the world. And in that five-year process, I would say I deepened, I ripened, I matured, I seasoned, I connected to a whole nother level of my own spiritual evolution and alignment. And I would say out of the natural, authentic readiness of my own being, the book unfolded. And I think when you're ready, life brings you what is right 
in the rightness of it, it, it as a mirror manifestation of the ripeness of your being. And, and so many of us, we chase things out there, but we're not it in here. We're not ready. And, and some of us, we, we do create results, but that's why I think a lot of people have this thing called imposter syndrome, because deep down we have a sense that we're not quite there, but you know, you hear this thing in self-help, fake it till you make it. And I, I get what, what is trying to be said, but I say, no, don't fake it till you make it. Be it, be it every step of the way, you know, be and live in alignment and integrity every step of the way so that you can be it and become it and live it and be an embodiment of it so that your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit is in coherence, you know, and integrity. And, and so I don't think the world needs any more fake teachers, gurus, coaches, or leaders. I think what we need are people that are truly living it, not perfectly, but living it. And so I think during that five-year period, um, I went through so much internally that out of the natural evolution of my being, life just started bringing to me what was next. And I don't know even know how it happened. Uh, uh, a book idea came and then someone said, you know, I signed with, you know, an agency called William Morris for, for, for some media stuff. And then the next thing uh, was with a book agent at William Morris and then some of the publisher and let's have publishing. And before you know it, we were in, it was just, it was just happening right before you literally, before you know it, we had a two day scheduled in New York with publishers. And my agent was like, uh, you know, don't expect much because publishers aren't doing much these days. And two days later, we had this crazy bidding war where it was like six multi six figure book deal was happening and it was just happening, you know, and that was what was amazing. It was just happening without force or effort, but you know, as a natural, as a, yes, as a natural evolution. And so I sold this book based on the book proposal of the book I thought I wanted to write. And my first book, which, which now is called You Are The One, came out 2016. It was not the book I thought I wanted to write. It was not the title. It was like, literally, it was not the book I sold to the publisher. And, and that was a humbling and amazing journey because I saw that the book I thought I was selling and writing was nothing to do with the reality and, and that the book had a life of its own. And, and so the book became a, I began doing these, these, one of the evolutions of my work was after I was coaching about 2006, 2007, I'd been coaching for quite a few years. I wanted to create something that had like never been created in the coaching industry. So in a, a long story short, I created a 12 day. This was one-on-one. -on -one. I don't do these anymore, but it was a one-on-one -on -one journey. I created a 12 day transformational experiential one-on-one -on -one journey where I take uh, a leader or visionary person to India. I take away your passport, take away your money. You have a backpack, a pair of clothes. You stuck me, stuck with me for 12 days. I make you sign your will in case you don't come back. I make you write letters to everyone in your life in case you don't come back and take you through a 24 seven radical, crazy transformational healing journey to India, turn you inside out and make you face your fears. It's like the ultimate hero's journey. And it was crazy. I did 21 of these journeys in about seven years, seven and a half years. I mean, people wanted to make reality TV shows out of this say, thing. Yeah. People started coming, uh, <laughs> literally started coming from around the world. And so after turning in several um, uh, manuscripts to my publisher, 
after I sold the book, after they'd given me my advance, they kept saying, no, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. This. Eventually they said, we want you to write about your India journeys and somehow frame that into a book. So, so and, and I had always promised I will never write about those journeys because they're so unique, so spiritual, so multidimensional. You can never capture it in, in a one-dimensional piece of paper. And I said, never. And I meditated on it. I prayed on it. And I sat with the conversation with my publisher. And I, I saw that my ego was really limiting, limiting the book. And I said, you know what? They're right. This, 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 there's something to what they're saying that I need to listen to. And so the book became a, 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 and a book that was inspired by the India journeys, where I would take you as the reader through the India journey, not step by step, but more symbolically and metaphorically through the India journey in a transformational uh, story process that was not just typical one, three, four, five, six, seven step self-help, but a an adventure journey. And, and, and that became the You Are The One book. And it was, it was an amazing process, an amazing experience. Nothing was what I thought it would be, but it was exactly what I knew it needed to be. Right. I mean, and that's the thing. And so again, so many people, you know, what, what you touched on, and I love when this happens, because I've had it happen to in some level, and you're just like, okay, I'm on the right path. This is amazing. You know, after my, um, at, my kids started getting older, and I was like, okay, I stayed home with them, my choice and my husband's choice. And it was what I wanted to do. But as they started getting older, I wanted, I wanted more, I wanted to be able to give back to the family. And I wanted, you know, to also fulfill some, you know, of some of my dreams. And so I started kind of doing this daydreaming and thinking about what I wanted to do. And when I decided to start the podcast and start my brand, it was like just one door after another just kept opening. And I just remember that feeling. And so when you express that, like it is a feeling of like no other. I mean, and being an entrepreneur, as you know, you have those ups and downs. But when you have that flow and you have that flow for a long period of time, it is like no other feeling. And so I love that you just explained that because I've talked about that in the, on the podcast, especially in the beginning when I really started out. And it's just cool to to talk to other people that it's happened to as well, because it really is. Again, I'm going to say it. It's like no other feeling where it's just like I am on the right path and I'm doing this and every door just keeps opening and I'm meeting all the right people. And it's like, boom. And then you do have the times where it's like, okay, that door shut. I need to turn left or right, not give up. And that's where so many people give up too early because it's like, oh, things got hard now. I was in flow for a long time. Now things are hard. But when the things get hard is when you really start learning and when you start growing personally. So I think that's amazing. And and I love, well, how old were you around that time when you were, uh, you know, when, when the book was coming out, you are the one. 37 in that zone. Okay. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, because I mean, yeah. I do. I... Because here's the thing. I, for the longest time, I thought, oh, I'm going to write a book at 21. I'm going to write a book at 25. I'm going to, you know, and, and I think many of us, which we, we short cut and short circus the process. We look around, especially now in an age of social media where everybody wants a quick fix, everybody wants the quick thing. And we look around and see what other people are doing. And we, we kind of like compare our path and our evolution and our success and our process by someone else. And, and I think when we truly follow our path, whatever our unique path is, um, 
we will always be on the right track. You know, we will always be on the right track. And looking back, I realized I wasn't ready at 30 or 22 or 25 or 28 to write the, the kind, of, kind of book I wanted to write. Because look, the truth is, there you go to the bookstore, there are literally thousands of self-help books out there. And a lot of them are regurgitations completely unoriginal regurgitations of the next book, watered down versions of other books. And, and so there's very little either originality or original expression or presentation because, you know, on some level, much of it's been said, but at least the authentic expression rather than being a copycat of another copycat. And so I would just encourage everyone to like listen to your soul and follow your path and be obedient to that. Because when you do, you will find your unique voice and your unique expression and your unique message or, or the unique delivery of your message, you know? And, and I think that's, that's the freedom. That's the freedom I found for myself, even with my second book too, The Magic of Surrender. Right. I mean, but that's the thing I, that the reason why I asked you about your age is because as you said, you thought you wanted to write a book earlier and all of the books, I mean, you know, if you're in the coaching business, consulting business, you've read the self-help books. And again, it's so much, as you said, semantics, people are just changing words and it's the way they're phrasing it, but they're literally saying the same thing. And it's what you connect with and, and how you interpret it and then how you take it and take action. But what I love about, you know, the book that your first book, it was based on experiences that you had. And that's what, that's what, based on experience. And that's what took you apart from all yeah. the other ones there. Cause it was things that you did. Yeah. So really your publishers were, were onto something and, and work they completely were right. correct. It was, yeah. 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 It was based on, you know, my, my real lived experience. And that's, that's the difference. I think when you speak from your real lived experience, then your words, then you're speaking has a different transmission because there's a lot of people that are speaking, speaking to speak, to speak, to speak, but they haven't lived it. They're speaking because it's theory. They're speaking because they read, but, but those that have lived it carry uh, a different vibrational force, soul force, energy. And I think what, you know, words, words are an excuse for the silence of your being and words carry the vibration and the energy of your soul. And I think words are the, the, the excuse to carry and transmit your heart. And, and so, yeah, through, through lived experience, through often hard earned lived experience, to be honest. Right. But that, but that's what made your book, you know, connect with so many people because it is an experience. And I, and I, you know, again, coming back as a parent, I talk to my kids all the time about things like that. You know, you can teach someone because of this experience that you had. It's not just like you heard this, you heard a parent say this. It was something that you experienced and overcame. And when that happens, it's a very different thing. So I, I love that you said that. Can you take us through your second book and a little bit about that so readers can understand? I mean, the listeners can understand a little bit. Wow. Yeah. The second book just came out quite recently, like a mm -hmm. year and a half ago. So that's, that's, that's the sort of book I'm excited about. And in terms of the message I'm excited about, you know, again, interestingly enough, um, this was not the book I thought I was going to write. This was not the book I wanted to write. This was not the book I intended to write. Um, I knew that there was something brewing. Uh, and I sat down with a whiteboard and I wanted to be very strategically intelligent this time. 
I said, oh, I'm going to write a book. Now I have some experience. <laughs> you know, now I know how the publishing field works and I've danced <laughs> with the big publishers and I, you know, I'm a big boy now. So I thought now I'm going to write. Yeah, one of these like mega bestsellers, you know, four agreements, sell gazillions of copies, the subtle art of not giving an F, you know, that <laughs> kind of book. And I studied the, the magical art of, I'm, I'm studying all of these like mega hits, like the magical art of tidying up, the subtle yeah. art, the F and the, 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 like, wow, they all have these titles with swear words in them. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm dissecting, <laughs> I'm dissecting the, the book, uh, should we say industry and going, okay, I'm going to come up with a plan that is going to be a bullseye of a multi-mega book. And I had hundreds of ideas on a, on a whiteboard and brainstorming ideas, brainstorming themes, brainstorming titles, brainstorming topics before I even wrote the book. And, you know, they were really great ideas. But if I was really honest and truthful, none of those clever ideas felt authentic. None of them felt alive. They were great, amazing but none of them felt that they truly like I could not look you in the eye and say, this is it. I would just be making up a marketing gimmick more than anything. And, um, the only word, if I was honest, when I looked at the entire board full of hundreds of ideas, the only word that stood out and I felt like a real energy was the word surrender. And I thought to myself, oh, shit, I, I, I really don't want to write about this topic because, you know, it's something we know we should do. We all know we should kind of surrender ourselves, right? But, but you know, all the great ones have talked about it. Jesus talked about it. Buddha talked about it. Dalai Lama talked about it. You know, Eckhart Tolle talks about it. Mother Teresa talks. I mean, they all talk about it. But, like, we all run away from this thing called surrender because we have misconceptions about it. And so I thought it's like going to the dentist. We know we should, but we don't. And... Let me, I want to write about something easy. I want to give people what, the, what book's going to be, what book does my publisher want? What book does my audience want? What book is going to be a bestseller? And the only word that resonated was the word surrender. And so I had to go through a process of surrendering to the book <laughs> about surrender. And when I did, I really felt the, I felt the soul of the book. I felt that the, that, that, this book was the book that was seeking to be written and I was just the vehicle and the delivery sort of messenger for the message of this book, the spokesperson for this book. And as I looked through my entire life, all the way back to my childhood and my parents and my upbringing, I saw and I felt that all of my life had been preparing me to speak about this topic and write about this book. And so I said, yes. And then I looked back because I saw that the seeds of the book itself were planted a few years before in that in 2016, right at the end, I was promoting my, you are the one book. And I just like literally came off of like doing Larry, a Larry King show, which was my icon hero as a kid. So I'm on top of the world and somehow life has a way of humbling you in, in strange ways. And I get a phone call that day telling me my mother has stomach cancer. And it was, you know, my mother was everything and it was literally just like a knife in my heart, you know, and uh, I began flying back and forth from Los Angeles to London, literally every month for a week, one week out of every month in London, taking care of my mother 
in chemo sessions. What turned out to be, what started off as the worst year of my life turned out to be the best year as I start, I just, I just got to be with her and sit with her and spend time with her and do things I'd never done, you know? And so I began to realize that I don't think my mother's going to make it. And so about six months into the process, I got to be with her this entire year, about six months into the process, we went to the doctors and the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do for you. So basically get your affairs in order. You're going to die in a nice way. They tell you. And so I remember looking my mother in the eyes in the hospital and I asked her two questions. The first one was, are you afraid? Because like it's a, it's going to happen. And this Japanese little Japanese woman looked me in the eyes and she said, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body, that this body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul. And that even when this body is gone, I will, I will be here. I will be with you. My soul is eternal. So I'm not afraid. And I really felt the, the depth of her knowing, you know, and then I looked my mother in the eyes and I said, and this is where I think the seed of the book was planted too. I looked my mother in the eyes and I said, <clears throat> what can I do for you? I want to be a good son. Like, where do you want to go? What do you want? What can I buy for you? What can I do? Like, tell me, we'll go there. We'll experience it. And my mother says, there's nothing I want and there's nothing I need. The only thing I want is what God wants for my life. And in that moment, I was like, wow, what a, what a statement, you know, in the face of the, like when we get what we want, yeah, I saw it when we, but, but in the, in the face of your death and mortality, I saw that my mother in her humble way wasn't attached to living, wasn't attached to dying. She was surrendered to the highest unfolding of her life journey. And in that surrender, she was free. And so when I was looking at this whiteboard, pondering what my next book was going to be, it became clear that surrender chose me like this was the title. And I saw that for my mother, surrender was the password to freedom. When I was began to then reflect on all the truly great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee, you know, Mandela, uh, Martin Luther King, at some point, they all surrendered themselves to, to God, to life, the divine, the universe, to, to their souls, you know, to their higher purpose. They, in that surrender, they, they transcended their own human limitations and tapped into another dimension of potential and possibility. And I think that's when life, God, the divine, the universe, whatever people believe listening, it's up to you, but that's when life began to express through them. That's when God began to express through them. And I think that's when, that's when we are used and life starts manifesting through us in ways that we cannot even imagine. And so to me, I really believe that, and through my experience, that surrender, I think is the most powerful thing that we can do. That surrender is the, the real secret to manifestation because in surrender, we get ourselves out the way, you know, in our culture today, I think we have this idea that, or this misconception that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that it's like giving up, waving the white flag, it's being a victim, being a doormat, it's being left behind. It's, if you surrender, you're not going to manifest. 
your goals, your dreams, your desires, like you're going to get less. And I'm actually saying, like, I, I want to reframe people's perception of true surrender so that people can get like, wow, if you really understand surrender and if you really surrender in the way that these folks did, you won't get less. But what if you actually got more? More than you could, maybe not what you expected, right? But more than what you could have planned and visualized and intended and imagined with your own limited human personality, egos, will. What if you got more? And to me, that's the magic. The magic is the more. Like, man, I look at someone like Mandela. Should he have not spent 27 years in prison? I look at someone like Mandela. Is that a life you could have planned and strategized and brainstormed? Like, the life he lived was bigger than the mind, bigger than what you could have like written on a on a vision board. It was it was it was like unlimited. And so I think surrender is when we take the limitations off of life. Surrender is when we let go of control, or I should say the 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 illusion of control. Surrender is when you stop trying to force life to fit your limited idea of how you think it should be and how you think it should look, you know, and, and you just open, you, you, you allow yourself to be open. You allow yourself to allow life to lead you, to show you, you allow yourself to be open and available to the highest unfolding of what life is seeking to express in a moment. And I think I'm really excited about this book. When I look at the last few years of humanity and where we have been going as a humanity, I feel as though the last few years, life has been initiating us as a species, as a humanity, into a new way of living, which is more about living in alignment with our souls, living in alignment with truth, li like living surrender, less from the ego and more from the soul. And I feel even the last few years with the pandemic and this and everything that's been happening is part of the, we've all been thrown into a surrender seminar as a human species. And I think... Uh, surrender to me is is the password. Beautiful, and you can see how excited you are. So, I mean, I, I I absolutely love that. I mean, you can see that that is a passion of yours. You can see how excited you are, and um, I think it's a, you know it's such a beautiful story. So, thank you for sharing that. And again, everyone can find your books uh, and everything that you're doing Amazon. on your on Amazon, but also <laughs> on your website. I'm I'm yes. sure, right? Yes. So, I would love because yep. I know we're coming towards the end. I would love for you to talk to us about what's happening in July. Oh yes, look um, for the last ten years, I have done a very special transformational life-changing event in Bali. Uh, it's for those that are visionaries and leaders, those that have a calling, those that feel a sense of mission, those that know they have a purpose bigger than themselves, those that are tired of just like reading the books, but they're ready to truly heal and let go of the past, connect to their true authentic selves and catapult themselves forward into living that purpose and destiny. And so since 2010, so about 10 10, 12 years minus two years of COVID, we've done uh, a very special event in Bali. It's called Boundless Bliss. Um, 12 days, an immersion experiential seminar training without walls, where I use Bali as the transformational room, classroom. Uh, and I create processes and experiences that are designed to help people, shall we say, break free and uncondition themselves. And uh, the next event is uh, July the 28th to August the 8th. This is the, I've done 20 of these events uh, in Bali and this will be 21. And this year is going to be the final year I do these events. So if anyone feels inspired by the conversation, 
jump in, you can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com. That's boundlessblissbali.com. All the info's there. You can apply there. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh my gosh. Well, I just have to say, thank you so much for joining your next stop. This has been wonderful. I love starting my day, beginning my day with, 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 with episodes like this, with connections like this. So I really appreciate you uh, joining. I do have one last question because you've been to so many places around the world. And I don't want to say what is your favorite? Cause I hate when people say oh, that's, favorite, that's impossible. It's, it's impossible. That's, uh, but yeah. what is a place that you have like a really fond memory of all the places that you've been like that, you know, that one comes to your mind right now? You know, look, Bali is, is an obvious one because it is so healing and in a feminine way, profoundly transformational. Um, I think in, in our culture today, in so many ways, the feminine is underappreciated and underestimated. And Bali somehow in this feminine grace of gentleness and fluidity melts you and doesn't give your ego any resistance because Bali is so beautiful and lush and green and just, tr and, and so, and, and in a sense, it's, it's, it's easy to be there and yet it transforms you and you don't even realize how the hell you transformed, you know, and, and that's, what's really profound about Bali, but, um, equally, uh, so I'm, I'm going to give you two, it says Bali for sure, but equally, um, on a soul level, India has, you know, and I've been to Bali like 24 times now and, 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 and India has in a transformational sense, probably been my mother, you know, another mother, which has given birth to me and my soul because being in India is tough. It's hard. It's, it's somehow the first time I went to India, I wanted to leave in two days. I'm like I'm out of here. There's nothing like spiritual about this place. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's chaos. It's everything. I'm out. And yet somehow India will find all of those places where you're not surrendered, all of those places where your ego is holding onto control for safety and survival. And it will take those and crack your head, crack your ego like a coconut on the cement and break you open, you know, not as gently as Bali, but profoundly. And so I think I have a special connection with India in that way. And India has shown me many, many, many things. And so uh, there's never a moment like when you're in India, just when you think you've seen everything, it just, it's, it's like this incredible woman, you know, the feminine, you are, you're a woman, you know, the feminine is just infinitely multidimensional in her capacity. She just, India just shows you just another shade, another shade. And just when you think it just shows you something else. And so, India is profound. Nice. Okay. So I guess I have one more question since you answered two on that one. Yeah, go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the United States, did you stay in California? Yeah. Are you just West Coast guy or have you lived in other places? Oh. Ah, interesting you asked. Um, I lived in Los Angeles through and through until 2020. Um, like I was LA, LA, like I'm LA, you know, through and through. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. I love LA, you know, the weather, everything, the mentality. And when COVID hit, um, LA, you know, California went a bit, it, it, it went bonkers. Let's, let's just, let's just put it that way. And, 
Uh, I, ha- I had a house in Phoenix. I had a small house in Phoenix, which is a whole nother story. But I had a small house in Phoenix. I bought it in 2019. Somehow the universe just guided me there. And I, looking back, I understood why. So for the first time, I was guided to leave L.A. right in COVID, in March of 2020. And I was living in an apartment downtown. Something said, leave now. Within weeks, I was gone. Before you know it, now I was camping out in Phoenix for a year. Uh, just living in Phoenix. Never thought I would live there because I'd go back and forth every few weeks just to write and create and come back to LA. And I remember being on watch, watching on, um, didn't have a TV, but I was watching on, on, on the internet, literally seeing riots because there were riots in LA, literally seeing rioting on my street and my building downtown being destroyed and borders put up. And it was like, my block in my area was crazy. So now I'm like, I see why the universe had me leave. But when I left, it felt like a death. When I left, it felt like a part of me, like I cried when I, when I moved from LA because I never thought it would happen. And so I ended up in Phoenix, which was, you know, Phoenix is a great place to die in a certain sense. You know, Phoenix raising from the, I mean, it has that energy of, of the desert. And so it was a profound year there. Then I was guided to sell my home in Phoenix at the end of 2021. I think it was, no, 2020, 2020, beginning of 2021. And uh, I ended up in Miami, ended up in Miami. Uh, for I'm like, yes, I'm moving to Miami. New vibe, new vision. It's the new city. I'm Miami, here I come. I ended up in Miami thinking I'm going to be in Miami for a while, for, for you know another 20 years perhaps. And at the end of my first year lease in Miami, I was guided not to renew it. And I said, okay, universe, show me where I'm supposed to be. And I'm back in LA. <laughs> oh, you are? Okay. Okay. Interesting. Good for I'm you. No, I love LA. that. I yeah, love that so. you did travel around a little bit. I think that's wonderful. Well, again, it's been yeah. an honor to have you on your next stop. I Thank so appreciate you so your time. And you guys, you know what to do. Like, rate, review. You might listen to this episode and be like, oh, that's so interesting. But you don't know who in your life needs to hear this episode. So please share it with as many people as you can and and just get it out. This is a word that people need to hear. People are stuck in their lives. Some people are going through things and they need to be connected to this episode. They need this episode in their ears so they can learn. So we will see you on another episode of Your Next Stop. Thank you so much. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends and join in each week. 